as I was preparing this one, I was reminded of a fellow I know here in Fort Wayne. And he has challenged me. He has challenged me by his life. And really, without him even knowing it. I don't, you know, I'm, he's, not, he's not even aware of how he's challenged, how he has challenged me over the years. Uh, I don't remember how I first came to know him, but it was in connection with men's fraternity. And all of my interactions, all of my connections with him have revolved around men's ministry. Uh, Pastor Kent and I first met him face-to-face at Panera on Coliseum. We went up one lunchtime um, to meet him there. And the place was packed. We were sitting, so we sat outside near the door. Uh, the three of us had a table for two people, um, but we were right next to the door because that's where the outlet was. And he plugged in his computer, and he, you know, we ran this men's fraternity video uh, to show us. And it was, it was, uh, you know, it was a good thing for us as, as uh, pastors, and good thing for us as men, and has been a good benefit for our church. But his biggest impact in my life has really been as I've watched him over the years, as I have seen him live his life simply as he's lived it out. He retired from his job out of state and moved to Fort Wayne to be near his daughter and and, uh, grandchildren. And so he and his wife had moved here. He covered all of his own expenses as he coordinated uh, many, many churches as a resource person for ministry to men and he's you know he's just done a a great job with that it's been a neat thing he is a man in his 70s and i went to meet him one time i went to uh just i met him in a parking lot to pick up some material and it was at uh sunshine whatever it is up there uh, it's a restaurant and he was meeting his mentor there okay so this guy is in his 70s he intentionally looked for a mentor who could help him to continue to grow and hold him accountable. And I thought, you know, what, a great, what a great picture. You know, he retired from his job. He didn't retire from living for Christ. Huge difference there. Something I think we need to grasp. Now, you know, I met him occasionally. I met him more often as we were doing men's fraternity. But um, as, at one of those meetings, he, he, was, he seemed just very troubled. And as we talked, I found out that uh, he had just learned that his wife's memory issues were actually Alzheimer's disease. And it was, it just was, he was, he had just found out earlier that week and it just really was trying to come to grips with that. And what did it mean? You know, what did it mean? What did the future look like? What, you know, what were the days ahead? How was he going to have to rearrange his plans? How could he best care for her? Uh, you know, how rapidly would this disease progress? And he just had these questions he was wrestling through. And uh, tough questions. You know, tough questions. We have tough questions in life, and he was in the midst of it. And just to see how he's handled that. I watched him adjust to settling into care for his wife, first at home, and uh, now it's transitioned into a, a memory care unit. Um, it was meant to be temporary. The memory care unit was meant to be temporary. Uh, they had used it, he had used it over the course of years a couple of different times as he had to have surgery uh, on different things and then his wife had to have some procedures done and while she healed and then, but he always worked, always worked to bring her back home. Uh, that was his goal and he worked toward that and he'd been able to do it. Well, this time, this last surgery, when he had his last surgery, um, he was coming out from that with every intention of bringing her back home. Uh, but some stuff showed up during the surgery. 
And as they investigated it further, uh, they found out that he has stage four pancreatic cancer. Well, everything has changed again for him. You know, and he is he is he's begun chemo, and uh, but he has the first thing. The first thing I uh, heard him that I heard him express uh, was how to get things in place for his wife's care in case in case this you know he doesn't come through this. Uh, and again, I just was uh, impressed with that. You know, he was also trying to arrange steps for his own treatments at that point. And it was shortly after that that he had mentioned how some friends came alongside him and helped him to be honest with, as he called it, the terror of dying. Uh, I know what that means. I know what that's like. Some of you know what that's like. Uh, It's easy to talk about death and dying when it's not staring you in the face. Uh, you know, but the, the um, whole reality of it there. Now, it may not be the terror of dying for you, uh, but we have all at times have fear making uninvited appearance into our life and stay for much longer than we'd like it to. You know, it may be that you get a report from a doctor and be plunged into the terror of dying. Or your fear may be for your grandchildren or your children and what they're going to face in the days ahead. And, and what, you know, maybe it's because of something specific that's going on in their life and maybe it's because of some things you see in this world. And it begins to build a little bit of fear in you. Your fears could be related to finances, safety, any number of issues. We all know what it's like to live with that unwanted guest of fear. Uh, Today we're going to look at some of the truths. Some truths that we really need to remember uh, when fear comes a-knocking at our door. Let's pray. Father, you are a gracious God. Being able to study this has reminded me of it again and again. And the way in which you minister to us. The way in which you know and and touch our lives exactly how we need it. I pray that today we would learn from your word. We would see the reality once again of you and your activity in our life. That we would know even more what it means to be drawn close to you. What it means to walk hand in hand with you. And that no matter what we face, that we will be able to do it with a great confidence, a great stability that's found in you. Not our circumstance, but found in you. So use your word, your truth, and your knowledge of us to transform us even more, we pray. In Christ's name, amen. We're going to be in John chapter 20, if you want to turn there. It's page 1000 in the Pew Bible. Uh, And as you turn to it, however you get to it, keep it open there. We're going to look at it a little bit and uh, then pick up again as as we go along. Uh, John chapter 20 is after Jesus' crucifixion and resurrection. He spends several chapters uh, in in, um, what we look at as the Last Supper and then the, uh, the crucifixion. 
Uh, and then here we're into, you know, the, right after the resurrection. It's really as they're discovering the resurrection. And the disciples were very clearly facing fear. And I say that because, well, that's what the Bible says. Uh, you know, this, so that was pretty easy to discern. Uh, they don't deal with it very well at first. Drop down to verse 19, uh, John chapter 20. Drop down to verse 19. Look at the very first sentence there in verse 19. It says, In the evening of that first day of the week, the disciples were gathered together with the doors locked because of their fear of the Jews. The doors were locked because of their fear. They were living in fear. They're in the midst of fear there. Now, it's understandable. They were disciples of Jesus, and as disciples of Jesus, you know, and being closely associated with them, they, they had just watched the Jews had Jesus arrested, and they watched as the Romans consented to crucifying him, even though the Roman authority in that area said, I find nothing in this man worthy of death, and yet he still, he still allowed that death to play, take place. Yeah, and they were not just fearful and going through normal life here, you see. Normal had left the building for them. Normal wasn't around. They were in a place where they were responding to fear. Not just from fear, but they were responding to fear. And there's a huge difference there. You certainly need to go on living when fear comes. When fear comes around, you need to go. But respond to fear and work not to respond from fear. There's a huge difference there. You know, there are times where they may look similar. You know, from the outside, sometimes they might look similar. The difference is the reason for our response. The reason is why, why are we doing what we're doing? You know, is our response because we are afraid? Or is our response because this seems to be the best choice? And there's a difference between those two. And again, sometimes they may look the same, but the motivation for why we're doing what we're doing. Here they are, they're behind locked doors. You know, they're behind locked doors. It seems they responded from fear because they were told, they were told just before this that Jesus was alive and wanted to meet with them. Now look back at the beginning. Drop, go all the way up to the first part of this chapter. Verse 1 of the same chapter. This is simply earlier in the day, the same day of what we picked up with in verse 19. You know, in, in verse 19 you saw there, you know, that, that it says, you know, in the evening of that first day of the week. Look up, back up at verse, at verse 1. On the first day of the week. See, this is just earlier that same day. On the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early while it was still dark. She saw that the stone had been removed from the tomb. So she ran to Simon Peter and to the other disciple, the one Jesus loved. I like the way he does that. You know, it's kind of like, Mom loves me best. Jesus loves me. Anyway, the one Jesus loved and said to them, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb and we don't know where they've put him. At that, Peter and the other disciple went out, heading for the tomb. The two were running together, but the other disciple outran Peter and got to the tomb first. Stooping down, he saw the linen cloths lying there, yet he did not go in. Then following him, Simon Peter came also. He entered the tomb and saw the linen cloths lying there. The wrapping that had been on his head was not lying with the linen cloths, but was folded up in a separate place by itself. The other disciple, who had reached the tomb first, entered the tomb, saw and believed for they still did not understand the scripture that he must rise from the dead then the disciples went home again 
So even though they didn't understand the scriptures, it says that, you know, they didn't understand the scriptures about his resurrection. They knew something spectacular had happened. They didn't know what they didn't get. They didn't have all of the answers for that part. <laughs> they, they weren't quite sure what it was, but they knew something spectacular had happened. Now, later, look in Luke's account, because as, as you look at Luke's account of this event, we're told that Mary Magdalene wasn't alone. We're told that several other women went to the tomb. And then they went and reported to the disciples. And if you look at Matthew's account of this, Matthew tells us that the women had actually encountered Jesus. And he told them to go tell his disciples to meet him in Galilee. Now, John touches on a little part of this encounter as well. Pick up again. Look at verse 11. He touches on this encounter. Verse 11. It says, But Mary stood outside facing the tomb crying. As she was crying, she stooped and looked into the tomb. She saw two angels in white sitting there, one at the head, the other one at the feet, where Jesus' body had been lying. They said to her, Woman, why are you crying? Because they've taken my Lord, she told them, and I don't know where they've put him. She's still expecting a body here. Verse 14. Having said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, though she did not know it was Jesus. Woman, Jesus said to her, why are you crying? Who is it you're looking for? Supposing he was the gardener. I always get a kick out of that verse too. Supposing he was the gardener, she replied, sir, if you've removed him, Tell me where you've put him and I will take him away. Uh, you know, this, what tremendous, this is a tremendous statement of, of love here, really. How is this, uh, you know, how is this woman going to haul a, a dead body of a, of a man away? You know, it's just, it's like, yeah, what, what, how, how are you going to do this? You know? Anyway, verse 16, Jesus said, Mary, turning around, she said to him in Hebrew, Rabboni, which means teacher. Don't cling to me, Jesus told her, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. But go to my brothers and tell them that I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord. And she told them what he had said to her. So the ladies go to the tomb early. They find it empty. They, they encounter first angels and, 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 and an empty tomb. And then they, they encounter Jesus. Jesus tells them, you know, to, to go tell the disciples. So they go and they tell the disciples about this. John and Peter run and see the empty tomb for themselves. No doubt they're hoping to see Jesus. I mean, you know, if he's a you know, it's, it's kind of like, I got to see this for myself. And they run down there. Well, they don't see Jesus, but they're convinced they saw something important. You know, they, they, they were convinced that they saw something important. Yet the very next verse, verse 19, here in John, in the very next verse, we're told that they were gathered with the doors locked for fear of the Jews. Now, it certainly could be still that they were waiting for Jesus and they would unlock the door. Later in the book of Acts, as you read through the book of Acts, Peter was thrown in prison as he was thrown in prison. Well, again, they, these guys are behind locked doors, no doubt because of fear. And Peter's released from prison and he has to go and, you know, the door's locked and he knocks on the door. And if you remember, uh, you know, the servant girl says, comes and says, you know, it, it's 
whoa, it's Peter. And she forgets to unlock the door, runs back, you know, and uh, says, whoa, it's Peter. And uh, everyone's excited. So then they, everybody comes to the door, and then they finally unlock it. Well, it could be that, you know, here they were going to unlock the door when Jesus came. I don't know. But it also could simply be they were responding to fear. What we do know here is they were afraid because it tells us they were afraid. What I see here for us as we look at this, you know, that even in the midst of fear, even in the midst of fear, do what Jesus said. You know, do what he said. Now, most of what he said is very clear for us in his word. It's very clear for us. I mean, you know, you, 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 know, you, you want to wonder, what did Jesus say to me? It, it's it's in most, uh, over 99% of God's will for you is in his word. It's right there. You know, and, and he tells us how to live. He tells us what to do. You know, it's right there in the Bible. Read it. Know it. Study it. Learn it. Live it. Respond to fear, not from fear, by doing what Jesus has said. Now let's read this again. Verse 19. Let's read 19 and on through 21 here for a minute. Just pick up with me again at the beginning of verse 19. In the evening of that first day of the week, the disciples were gathered together. So this is the evening of what we just read about in the morning. They were gathered together with the doors locked because of their fear of the Jews. Then Jesus came, stood among them, and said to them, Peace to you. Having said this, he showed them his hands and his side. So the disciples rejoiced when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, Peace to you, as the Father sent me, I also send you. Now, don't miss the impact here of the second sentence in verse 19. You know, it says, you know, they're afraid they're in a locked room, and I love the way that starts. Then Jesus came. Oh, man. There they are. They're, they're in this room, locked in there because of their fear. Then Jesus came. What? What? They're, they're hiding, don't want to be found. Jesus knew right where they were. He knew right where they were. No matter where you are, Jesus knows right where you are. He knows right where you are. You might feel lost. He knows where you are. You, know, you might feel alone, but He is there. You might be distracted. He is not. You, know, you may be trying to hide. He knows where you are. I love the way this is put. This is just unfolded in a great way in Psalm 139. It says, Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I stand up. You understand my thoughts from far away. You observe my travels and my rest. You are aware of all my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, you know all about it, Lord. You have encircled me. You have placed your hand upon me. This extraordinary knowledge is beyond me. It's lofty. I'm unable to reach it. Where can I go to escape your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to heaven, you're there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. If I live at the eastern horizon or settle at the western limits, even there, come on, even there, uh, your hand will lead me. Your right hand will hold on to me. If I say, surely the darkness will hide me and the light around me will be ignite. 
Even the darkness is not dark to you. The night shines like the day. Darkness and light are alike to you. Jesus knows right where you're at. He knows what you're facing. He knows your fears. He knows where you're at, and he knows your fears. Did you see twice he says to them here in, those, in, this short, in a short span, peace to you. He says it in verse 19, he says it in verse 21. When we're, when we're in the midst of the fear, when we're in the midst of fear, we need peace. What we want is escape. That's what we want. What we want is escape. We want to be out of this. What we need is peace. See, we want the circumstances changed. What we need is that internal change. We want to get away, you know, and, and what we need, though, what we really need is peace. And he comes and he ministers, he says, peace to you. God repeatedly ministers, uh, you know, peace to his people. He comes when they, when they are afraid and, he, and when they're in fear-inducing situations. Uh, I started looking this up and, you know, God says to his people, you know, do not be afraid or do not fear. 117 times in the Bible. You want to do, you want to do a, a neat Bible study, start looking those things up. 117 times he says, you know, do not be afraid, do not fear. Now you'll notice this is not one of those times. Here he just says peace to you. So there's even more times where he's ministering comfort to them in the midst of fear. Over 117 times, over and over and over again, we see it. You know, God ministers to us in our fears. He is present with us in the midst of our fears. He's there and he cares. Jesus came, he ministered peace to them. Now notice, he did not change their situation. That's what we look for. We want escape. We want the situation changed. Lord, this came on me now. I need, I need healing. There's nothing wrong with healing. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is what we look for is escape from whatever we're in the midst of. We look for the situation to change. Jesus didn't change their situation at all. He didn't change it. He changed their outlook. When fear comes, often we, we focus on the fear. Or we focus on what's causing the fear. Or we focus on what we imagine the results will be, which only increases the fear. Look again at verse 20. Having said this, this piece to you the first time having said this he showed them his hands and his side so the disciples rejoiced when they saw the lord the disciples rejoiced when they saw the lord jesus comes to them despite the locked doors despite them hiding he comes to them in the midst of their fears and he ministers peace to them, saying it twice. Now, have you ever noticed simply saying to someone, calm down, really rarely, rarely calms them down. Ginny was, uh, was upset one time, and she was quite upset, and I thought it was a little you know, extraordinary, and I didn't understand why. And you know, so she's upset, and I said, now just calm down. And the next thing I remember was waking up on the floor. <laughs> 
Okay, I made that up. But see, the point, you know, the, the, the point there, we, we, you know, we, to tell somebody, simply to tell them, doesn't do much good. Jesus does something between those two times where he says, peace to you. He says, peace to you in verse 19. He says, peace to you again in verse 21. But he does something in between there, here in verse 20 of what we looked at. It says, he shows them his hands and his feet. He talks to them. He shows them. He is really there with them. And it says, did you notice, that they rejoiced when they saw the Lord. They rejoiced when they realized that He really was there with them in the midst of it. When you find yourself battling fear, look for evidence of God's presence with you. Every day, look for it. Every single day, look for it. I learned to do this seven years ago. You know, seven years ago when, when I was in the midst of some of this stuff. And I've continued to do it. And I've continued to do it every day. And you know what? When you're looking for evidence of God's presence with you every day, it not, it not only helps you overcome fear, it helps you avoid fear in the first place. You not only overcome it, it helps you to avoid it. Look for God's presence every day. Don't wait until you're in the midst of fear. Begin looking for God's presence because it'll even help you avoid it. You know, something, something that tells you, you know, God is real. Something that tells you, you know, that God is alive. Something that tells you that God is here. Yesterday, three of our three men from our church um, did a, a little bike ride. They rode from Lake Michigan to Lake Huron, 160 miles across Michigan. And, uh, you know... That's a little nuts. Yeah, but anyway, you know, it was, and, and they had a great time, right? They did. They had a good time. Uh, 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 Peter, uh, Scott, and Dean. And they're all still able to sit on a flat seat. I wouldn't be able to. Anyway, uh, that's another story. But the, you know, so they were, and, and, uh, and Kent worked hard because he did the chase van. And I, so I prayed for Kent a lot. But anyway, so Kent would send us updates. There, there was a, a, a group uh, of people, you know, that were kind of following us. And so he'd send updates and pictures and stuff. And uh, Tyranny was on, was on that list of, of people who were getting these updates. And so one of the pictures came. Well, it was the picture near the end. Uh, Kent got to the end before them and was waiting for him. And so he has a picture of, you know, here's the, the finish line and, and all that stuff. And then he said, and if I turn 180 degrees, and there's the pictures of Lake Huron, uh, the, the beach and stuff on Lake Huron. And, and it, it was pretty cool. The tyranny replies, I, I don't know, it's on my phone, but uh, here's a paraphrase of it. I don't remember exactly, but she replies, oh. You know, what a great God that created all these things. I just looked at the picture and I thought, well, this is pretty cool. And then Tyrannies came across. Remember, I had already had this sermon together. You know, it said about looking for God every day. And there it was, and she saw God in that picture. Look for evidence of God every single day. Something that tells you. That picture told her that God is real, that he's alive, that he's here. 
What is it that tells you he is alive, he is real, and he is here? Look for it. Write it down. I've been writing it down for seven years now, and I just love it. I did it again this morning. I sat down and I, I wrote down a few things. I, 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 just, you know, I, I just really love it. But here the disciples are so controlled by fear, and they were hiding behind locked doors. Okay, now, follow this along. Here it is. Nothing had actually happened to them. Physically, they were just as fine as they were a week, a week before. Nothing actually happened to them personally. You say, well, they crucified Jesus. I understand that they did that. But nothing happened to them personally. And here they are, you know, and here they are, they're, they're, they're behind locked doors because of their fear of what could happen. Of what could happen. So seven years ago, I remember sitting in the doctor's office. And... Uh, you know, they had done the MRIs and stuff. And he, he said, you know, the slim chance that you're going to have a tumor. And he comes, comes in and uh, we're sitting there. And he looks down at his computer and stuff and he said, you have a tumor there. I was fine at that moment. You know, I was fine. And, uh, you know, Ginny starts with a machine gun of questions for the guy. The next day, I was no longer fine. I was no longer fine. After hearing some things and... But physically, there was no difference between that day when he told me and the next day when the fear came. Physically, there was, nothing had changed in me. Not a thing had changed. I had the tumor before I knew it. The only difference was now I knew it. The difference then was what I began to think of what's going to happen. And the fear came. We very often fear what could happen. And we miss where we're at right now. You know, of what could happen. Now, I'm not saying that their fear was foolish here for these guys. You know, we would say their fear was well-founded. Uh, you know, they killed Jesus. Dude, they're coming after you. You see, that's what they were afraid of, what could happen. It says, then Jesus came. He didn't change the situation. He changed their outlook. He showed them real proof that he was there, and he ministered peace to them. But he didn't stop there. Look again. Look at verse 22 with me. It says, After saying this, he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. 
Now, three days earlier, three days earlier, they, they shared the last Passover meal together. What we see is the Last Supper. And three days earlier, they shared that meal together. Jesus had told them that they would receive the Holy Spirit. In John chapter 14. John chapter 13 is, is the meal itself. John chapter 14, a continuation of that same evening. John chapter 14, he says, If you love me, you'll keep my commands, and I'll ask the Father. He will give you another counselor. To be with you forever. He is the spirit of truth. The world is unable to receive him because it does not see him or know him. But you do know him because he remains with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I am coming to you. In a little while the world will see me no longer. But you will see me. Because I live, you will live too. In that day you will know that I am in the Father. And, in, and you are in me, and I am in you. You see, when we have a relationship with Christ, we receive the gift of the Spirit, the very presence of God Himself with us. The very presence of God Himself. The devotional that uh, Pastor Kent and Sarah and Ginny and I are, are reading uh, together this year, uh, the author said in there, he said in one of the devotionals, our peace is not dependent on our outcomes. It is tied to our intimacy. It is tied to our intimacy. Rejoice that God is present with you. Even in the midst of fear. And because the very presence of God is with us and in us, we have the opportunity to live in peace. Not in the fear of the day. Not in the fear of the future. Okay, so I don't know what you're facing. I don't, I don't know what is causing you to fear. But Jesus does know. Respond to fear, but don't respond from fear. And even in the midst of fear, do what Jesus said. Do what he said. He knows right where you are. He knows your fears. Look for evidence of God's presence every day. And rejoice that His presence is with you. Even in the midst of fear. In that midst of fear. Peace to you. Peace to you. You know, from God. From God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit, that one God that ministers to us in so many ways. Peace to you. Let's pray. Father, you have come alongside us many times. We can think back and we can remember. When things are calm, it's easier for us. But man, when we get in the midst of, of fear, show us your presence once again. Help us to see you. Help us to respond to you and not to the situation. Help us to remember and to realize that you know where we are at. You know our fear and you are with us. What a great gift that is, your presence. Minister peace to your people. 
Help us not to give in to the tyranny that fear would love to keep us under. But help us to, as best we can, release that to you. But help us to see you right there with us. To know your love, to know your ministry, to know your care. And to know that even though it seems out of control to us, it's not to you. Thank you, Father, for your grace, your peace, and your presence. We pray with joy, really, in Christ's name. Amen.